Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm honored you're here. You're listening to the tribute to Tony Bennett. Recorded August 3rd, 2020, the 94th birthday of singer Tony Bennett. This episode features an interview with legendary jazz disc jockey, and a great friend of Tony Bennett, Dick Golden. If you want to support the mission of the Paul Leslie Hour, any contribution, small or large, is greatly appreciated. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. Without any further delay, let's get into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are gathered across the nation to celebrate a living legend and an unsurpassed performing and recording artist of jazz and traditional pop songs, Tony Bennett is an artist who has upheld the highest standards of excellence in creativity. A prolific artist with 57 studio albums and thousands of live performances to his credit, Tony Bennett has affected people of all ages and for generations. We're recording this August 3rd, 2020. He's celebrating his 94th birthday today and is as vital as ever. Tony Bennett's music has graced the radio airwaves since the 50s, and it's only fitting that this interview be with a broadcaster. Dick Golden is with us. He's been on the air bringing jazz music to the people for 50 years. Mr. Golden has broadcast out of Cape Cod, Boston, and Washington, D.C. He hosts the show GW Presents American Jazz, which airs on Sirius XM's Real Jazz Channel 67. Dick Golden has been friends with Tony Bennett for more than 40 years. Dick Golden, how are you, sir? I am well, Paul, and thank you for that wonderful introduction and those words you said about Tony Bennett. I can tell you're not only a fan, but you're a scholar, too. You've really (laughs) researched that career. Uh, Just one uh, story, you know, you mentioned Washington, D.C., and to kind of frame what you uh, talked about in terms of Tony's longevity in America and being a part of the scene. He came here for the very first time to perform in 1951. He came here with the, he and Rosemary Clooney were the two hottest young singers on the Columbia record label. And Tony's uh, record at that point, I think it was because of you, it was number one and then Cold Cold Heart. In any event, they came together and did a concert at the Capitol Theater in Washington, and that was his first visit to the nation's capital. Decades later, in the summer of 2015, he came here for two sold-out concerts at the Kennedy Center, Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. That's like staying relevant for a long, long <laughs> time, I think. Absolutely. And so you are in the nation's capital at the moment. Correct. Correct. And I associate there are so many wonderful Tony Bennett memories, including his Kennedy Center honors in 2005. He's a National Endowment for the Arts Jazz Master. He's a Library of Congress living legend. He's, uh, I think I sent you a picture of he and I together that was taken in 2017 when he was going to be a recipient of the Library of Congress uh, Gershwin Prize. So he's been honored so many times here in the nation's capital for not only his 
artistry as a singer, but also as a painter. He has a, a painting of his beautiful portrait of uh, Duke Ellington is at the National Portrait Gallery. And he did a wonderful painting of Ella Fitzgerald, which is at the Smithsonian's National History Museum. And a beautiful oil of Central Park, which is at the Renwick uh, Gallery across from the White House. So he has a long association with the nation's capital. Well, Dick, it's a, it's a great pleasure to be talking with you about Tony Bennett. I know you've known Tony Bennett for 40 years. We all mm-hmm. know that voice. Many of us have seen him in concert. But who is the man? Well, the man is someone uh, we used to talk almost every day when he was painting every day in his uh, studio in Manhattan, right uh, adjacent to his home. And one example, Paul, who is, who is he? He, he called one um, afternoon and he was so excited. He said, Dick, I can't believe it. Susan and I were over in Central Park, his wife, Susan, and, and uh, they were walking the dog and he happy. And he said, I heard a guy playing a saxophone over there who was so outstanding. I just sat there, Susan and I, we, we didn't want to interrupt him, but we just sat there and we listened to him for about 45 minutes. He was just so fantastic. Now, here's a guy, Tony Bennett, who has appeared with the Duke Ellington Orchestra and Count Basie and his Revere, Frank Sinatra's favorite singer, and so forth and so on. But his, his purity, that when he heard this gentleman just by himself playing, he was like a little kid. Tony was like a little kid. A sense of discovery. You know, he wrote a book called Life is a Gift. That's who he is. I don't. I can't remember a conversation where somewhere along the way, toward the end of the conversation, he says, "You know, Dick, I've just had the most blessed life. I am so lucky. I do the things I love. I paint and I sing, and I have beautiful members of my family and friends. And it's just life is a gift. I'm so happy to be alive. That's who he is." I mean, that, that the way he radiates on the stage and that great sense of joy that he, he conveys to an audience, a sense of optimism and hope, that's the gentleman I've known for over 40 years. That really speaks volumes. I'm hoping you can tell us about the first time you came to meet Tony Bennett and you were eyeball to eyeball with him. There he was in the flesh. What are your memories of that event? Well, it was in 19, I believe it was 1965, early in the year, and it was at uh, Blinstrup's Supper Club in Boston, and I was in college in Boston and working at a Boston radio station, and I loved Tony Bennett's uh, music, and I played it, and some, I was just fortunate enough to be able to connect with his management, and they arranged for an interview in his dressing room at Blinstrup's in South Boston, and at that particular time, the the record that Tony had on the Billboard charts was Who Can I Turn To? And he had done an album with the, that was the title tune from the Leslie Burkus and Anthony Newley's tune, Who Can I Turn To? And um, I had a lady friend I had uh, I was dating her and she loved Tony and I was so nervous. I was like, here we are in, in the dressing room with Tony Bennett. and And he could not have been kinder 
uh, more patient. No, no, take your time here. I'll show you where, you, if, you know, if you can plug the tape recorder in over here, here, let me get the cord. I'll plug it in for you. That type of guy. I'm thinking, what? Is... So in any event, you know, uh, Linda sat down at the, my lady friend sat down at one end of the couch. I'm at the other end and Tony is in the chair right next to us. And he, um, we started talking and I said, you know, Tony, everyone, is familiar now with your your beautiful hit record of Who Can I Turn To? And I said, I love the album, and I've been playing it on the air. I said, I have to tell you, although that's the record that's charting, you you my favorite is a song that you did in there uh, that Cy Coleman and Carolyn Lee wrote called I Walk a Little Faster. And he broke it, his face just lit up, that Tony Bennett smile just lit up. And he looked <laughs> over at my lady friend Linda and said, Finally, a DJ with ears. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine how I felt, I mean, uh, at that moment. But it, in a word, kindness. <laughs> kindness. He's just the kindest person. And and that's how. And then when in the, I didn't see him for several years, but when I was on Cape Cod from 1970 through 2005, Tony started coming on a regular basis to the Cape Cod Melody Tent in Hyannis, world-famous Melody Tent built by Kirk Lawrence in 1950. And that's when we really bonded and became friends. And and uh, it's been one of the great joys of my life. He's been not only a, a beautiful friend and loyal friend, but such a teacher. He's a wonderful mentor and teacher. We're joined by Dick Golden a jazz disc jockey with ears and a great friend of Tony Bennett. The year 2018 saw the release of the most recent album of both Tony Bennett and Diana Krall. And it was a collaborative release. Love is here to stay. The other night I was listening in complete darkness and I could have sworn I was in heaven listening to it. But what did you think about these two great jazz artists coming together? Well, I appreciate Diana Krall so much and have watched her grow as an artist uh, through the years. And I couldn't, it was just one of those moments of perfection, Paul. Here you have Tony Bennett and again, someone he has mentored as a uh, Diana Krall, as a musician and, a, and an artist and just adores her. And also the Bill Charlotte Trio accompanying them, singing songs, uh, classic American songs written by the Gershwin brothers. And I, you, oftentimes people say, well, what's your favorite track? I don't have it. They're all just uh, magnificent. I thought it was a, a triumph for the American songbook and uh, just a triumph for great American music. One thing it seems is that Tony Bennett is the king of duets. He sung with everyone from Willie Nelson to James Taylor Lady Gaga, Gloria Estefan, Paul McCartney. Whose voice have you most enjoyed hearing right alongside Tony? Well, there are many, Paul, uh, I think, that have connected and, and are right in there. But both from a listening standpoint and then watching the making of the duet with Amy Winehouse, Tony and Amy Winehouse doing Body and Soul, is something that will be indelible in in my mind uh, forever. I talked to Tony, it called me shortly after a five hour, he recorded that in London, there's a five hour 
time difference, but I remember he said, oh, Dick, wait till you hear this. You know, she was a little nervous in the studio, but once we connected, it went very well. Well, when you see the videotape of that, it was the last record Amy Winehouse made before she tragically died. And she was very, very nervous. She didn't think she was performing uh, up to par. And she said, I don't want to waste your time, Tony. I just, I don't want to waste your time. And, you know, if you don't want to, and he said, no, no, dear. No, no, no. Just take your time. And again, it seemed he was totally unconscious that there's a control booth and people looking in and listening to what they're talking about. It was very intimate. It was just Tony Bennett and Amy Winehouse. And um, she said, well, I just don't want to get it wrong. He said, no, he said, we'll just take a little bit. He said, I have to ask you something. He said, do you, do you know Dinah Washington's music? And she said, oh, my God, Dinah Washington is my favorite singer. He said, I have to tell you something. You remind me very much of her. And she said, what? Did, did you know her? You know, oh, of course, you must have known her. And then Tony told her a couple of Dinah Washington stories, and she was transformed. Amy Winehouse was transformed. The nervousness, the anxiety, all of that dissipated. And she turned out this beautiful, beautiful performance. And so it was actually Tony on several levels, what he's been to me, a mentor and guide. That's reflected in that session. Musically, it's magnificent. It reminds me of the Billie Holiday recording of Body and Soul or the uh, Coleman Hawkins uh, 1939 uh, instrumental of Body and Soul. It's that definitive. And uh, so that would be among my favorite duets with Tony. As I was mentioning at the top of the interview, there are few singers in the world with the sheer volume of studio recordings as Tony Bennett. Mm-hmm. 57 studio albums, plus the live albums, plus, I mean, you you could go on and on. Knowing his music as you do, how would you say his recorded music has evolved? Uh, I think right from the beginning when he came into a recording studio the culture already was changing the big band swing era was ending and it's the early 1950s the good part of that is that vocalists were getting their due and they were stepping forward and they were being recognized as opposed to being just part of a big band Sinatra stepping out of Tommy Dorsey's orchestra and creating Frank Sinatra he was coming into that era but also he was being he was part of a culture where they had people trying to dictate to artists who love great music that you know you have to do novelty tunes, you have to do more pop stuff and he always resisted that and I think if you go back to the very, very earliest recordings nineteen fifty three nineteen fifty four nineteen fifty five when he started doing albums. Uh, you'll see his stand out. I mean, he did an all the beat of my heart in 1956, I believe. He did an album with just uh, Ralph Sharon as a pianist in 1956-57. I think what I've always found right from the beginning, when is his selectivity, his choice of material, only great songs, and uh, that's been a part of his whole career. I don't know of any artist who has been more articulate about the craftsmen who composed these songs, that golden era of American popular song. So I think right from the beginning, it was his incredible taste. And, you know, he always will say, whenever 
anyone's interviewed him, and he has said it to me on the phone. He said, you know, Dick, the greatest lesson I learned in my life about quality is from my mother, observing my mother when I was 10 years old after my father died. My mother worked in the garment district 12 hours each day and then would take in extra uh, work from neighbors and that sort of thing to help supplement the money she was making in the garment district to keep Tony and his brother John and sister Mary healthy and fed and clothed and so forth and so on. The only time, Tony said, the only time I saw my mother impatient or upset or angry, he said, I would hear her. I would be in the bedroom, but I could hear her late, late at night. And she would throw a dress down on the floor and say, I don't want to work on this. It's a cheap dress. She only wanted to work on quality material. And, he, and that taught him. And, and again, we learn more from observing people than from what they say. He learned, don't do cheap songs. Don't shortchange the audience. Do only the best songs. And that's why that incredible catalog you just talked about is uh, so rich with just beautiful art songs and songs from the American Songbook. We're joined by Dick Golden, a radio disc jockey and an expert on Tony Bennett. Something that I talked about on this show in the past, it was February 14th this year, Valentine's Day. My wife and I went to one of the last live performances. I think it might have been the last concert that we went to before all of the events of 2020 started to unfold. And mm. there have been times where I've been sad or I've been feeling kind of off or whatever. And when I've thought of that concert, I cannot help but smile. It was amazing. Mm. And the thing about it is there were no breaks. The energy of the show was just so high. This man, 93 years old, where do you suppose he gets this incredible energy? I think uh, there are so many childlike, not childish, but childlike qualities uh, I've observed in Tony Bennett. There's a naivete uh, about him, a man who served in World War II who helped liberate a concentration camp, who marched with Dr. King in Selma, all experience that might jade one's spirit and make them pessimistic about life. Tony is the most life-affirming person, and you, you, the description you just gave of that concert, Paul, I think captures that. It reaffirms that when you saw him at 93 years old in February, that's why you felt your spirit felt lifted in the audience. I feel that way. I spend a lot of time when I go to Tony Bennett concerts, kind of like when the lights are low, looking around very quietly to see the look at the faces of people who are watching him. And it reconfirms for me, because when you're on the radio, you don't see the faces of the audience. You hope they're enjoying it. You hope they're absorbing what you're playing. You hope it's lifting their spirits. But when I see those faces like yours, must have been that night and your wife that night. That's what uh, communicates to me, keep going straight ahead. This man has the magic to do that uh, with a, a, an audience, live or on a record. Is there a Tony Bennett song that has the most meaning to you? 
Oh, boy. There's so many, you know, Paul. I've been just thinking right now a song that he did. One of his favorite albums of all time is the movie song album that he did in 1965. The big hit song from that, classic from that, was The Shadow of Your Smile. But there's a song. He did songs that were in movies, and he had the composers of the songs conduct the orchestra or write the arrangements. In that case, Johnny Mandel did the arrangement of The Shadow of Your Smile. Paul Francis Webster, of course, wrote the lyrics. But on that album is a a, a title song of a movie from that time called It's Never Too Late. I love that because to me it it encapsulates his, his, um, his spirit. But there's another song he did in 1966 that also, it's a short, it's two minutes and 30 seconds long, but it's called Touch the Earth, Lean Down and Touch the Earth. You know, uh, he, he, it was written and it, it was, the song was inspired by a book called Touch the Earth, which was a collection of reflections from very, very elderly Native Americans who lived on reservations out in the Midwest. And it was written in the 19, late 1960s, 1970. So some of these people lived, uh, Native Americans were living in the 19th century and all the wisdom that they brought to life, what they had learned from their life experiences, is c- contained in that song, Touch the Earth. So those are just a couple. I hope you'll go Google that and listen to it. And it says everything you will ever need to know about the spirit of Tony Bennett and his belief system. Very interesting. Something that you said a moment ago, I have to identify with very much because I did the exact same thing when I was at this concert. There was a moment when I turned around and I looked at the faces of all of the people in the audience. Mm -hmm. And Tony's appeal has included people of all different ages Mm -hmm. and all different types of people. Is there any commonality that you found, though, in Tony Bennett fans? Uh, In a word, love, I think, uh, and that is there are all kinds of love, obviously. But one of the one in those when I'm taking those moments to look around quietly as people are watching Tony on stage, you'll see a young couple, maybe in their early 30s, and dressed nicely, and they're sitting there, and Tony's singing, maybe the very thought of you or something like that. And very quietly, the gentleman's hand will reach over to his wife or girlfriend's hand and, and take her hand in his, and she will take her head and put it on his shoulder. He just brings that out. He just, he commands that, that, that it's about love. And uh, that is, uh, I find, a very common quality of, of his audience, that they're very tuned into that. You were kind enough to send me some pictures, and you sent a picture of yourself with Tony Bennett, but then you also sent a picture of Tony Bennett with Martin Luther King Jr., Harry Belafonte, and then another picture, Tony with Lady Gaga, Stevie Wonder, and Paul McCartney. (laughs) These are all very, very iconic people and people who have contributed so much to the world. What have you found people are like when they're iconic or when they're just a normal person? What is it like observing somebody coming in contact with this great singer, Tony Bennett? I've seen people trip over themselves uh, to get to him. Uh, Very famous people. 
Oh, he he radiates and he dominates when he walks into a room. It could be glittering with well-known people, and I've seen that happen in New York and so forth. The temperature changes in a room when he walks in. Everyone is beaming. Everyone smiles. <laughs> That's the first reaction they have when they see Tony Bennett. It's like Louis Armstrong. The first thing you mentioned the name. I found this through the years, Paul. If you're just if you mention their names, just what do you think of uh, the music of Tony Bennett? Ninety nine percent of the time, the person will smile the moment <laughs> you mention that name because they're associated with that. And um, Duke Ellington, and part of it is, you know, when Tony began in the village in the late 1940s, when Pearl Bailey hired him to be part of a show that she was doing, and he was so good, she invited Bob Hope down to see Tony, and she, that this young kid, Anthony Benedetto, he's really, you know, he's great, and this sort of thing. But uh, when he was being mentored by uh, Pearl Bailey, Pearl Bailey said, you know, warned him, she said, Tony, there's a fatal disease in show business, and you have to always be on guard that you don't become affected by this disease. It's called helium of the brain. Helium <laughs> of the brain. <laughs> Years later, in the 1970s, when Duke Ellington was asked to comment on Tony Bennett, Duke, who was sort of a surrogate father to Tony, he loved Tony, he loved Tony's mother and his family, his sister Mary and his brother John. Duke would come to the home and Tony's mother would cook for Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington observed of Tony Bennett, with all of Tony Bennett's greatness, he's never needed a larger hat size. <laughs> and so there's uh, Pearl Bailey's advice. Tony Bennett took that advice to heart. And uh, he's just uh, just an amazing person. <laughs> it reminds me of a famous quote of his, I have a simple life. I mean, you just give me a drum roll, they announce my name, and I come out and sing. In my job, I have a contract that says I'm a singer, so I sing. <laughs> That's so cool. And, you know, Paul, he was doing that when he was five years old. He he, he and his, sister, his mother would have these uh, incredible Sunday afternoon dinners. The Benedetto family and all the Italian relatives would come over, and the women would be in the kitchen cooking the most fantastic food, and everyone would gather around and eat. And after that was over, they formed a circle in the living room. And Tony, uh, who was five or six at the time, his sister Mary, who was probably nine to ten, his brother John was probably eight, and was uh, she, Mary was the oldest, they would perform a talent show. They would come out and sing, and, and the relatives just loved it. Tony told me, you know, they would just applaud so loudly and encourage the kids so strongly. Tony said, I, w I lived for the next Sunday when that would happen again. I lived for the next Sunday. That's the same spirit you saw in February at 93 on the stage. It was the same sort of energy he produced among his relatives in Depression Time America the, the sense of optimism and the joy of uh, being entertained. And uh, he's carried that all of his life. So what do you think we can all learn on a personal level from this great American singer, Tony Bennett, a man who has touched the hearts of so many people? Well, in the time that we've been talking, I went online because although I thought I had committed it into memory. I wanted to make sure I was correct, but I found the words to touch the earth. 
And um, I think the reason it's one of my favorites, it's so authentic because it captures Tony Bennett's spirit so beautifully, his belief system so beautifully at 94 years old today, lean down, touch the earth, reach up and touch the sky, reach out, touch the hearts of strangers passing by. You'll find as long as you live, all you can hold to is what you can give. So lean down and touch a child, reach out, touch the sea. You'll find there's love to share wherever you may be, for nothing can match the beauty of touching the earth with love. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was lovely. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for remembering this marvelous day in our uh, American history, the 94th birthday of Tony Bennett. I always like to give the guest the stage at the end, and this isn't limited in any way to music or, or anything, really. What would you say to anyone who is tuned in? Boy, I, 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 the reason I have such a, an affinity for this music is there are so many messages contained in the music. The great lyricist Yip Harburg once observed about these songs, why they endure, while they'll always will be relevant to human beings, is that when you hear a word, you think a thought. When you hear a sound, you feel a feeling. When you hear one of these great songs, like the one I did, the lyrics, Touch the Earth, when you hear both sound and words together, you think a feeling. And I would say in these very, very trying times, as we celebrate someone who was born in 1926, a child of the Depression, a World War II hero, someone who walked, walked with Dr. King, who supported uh, John Kennedy's presidency and a great deal with all, he, what has kept him centered and focused through it all has been his music, the love of music. So to find a passion, sometimes you can find it through this music. It, too, may be a passion in your life, and it can become a great weapon in your quiver when things aren't going right to retreat to this uh, music and find some hope in it. Well, thank you so much. I feel very honored to have done this interview with you and to pay homage to Tony Bennett. Thank you again. Thank you, Paul, and keep up all your great work. Thank you very much. All right, sir. Until next time. Yes. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scanning G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.